but pain usually makes us move. Pain begins the healing process. I mean, think about it. When you break a bone, it's very freaking painful, but the healing of it is where the transformation happens. This is your Badass Journey podcast. I am Karine Walsh, serial entrepreneur, growth strategist, executive leadership coach, and best-selling author. Each week, I will bring you a guest or a thought that will help you align what you love with what you do in order to build that badass life and business you dream of. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of your Badass Journey podcast. Are you ready for some soul surgery today? My multi-million dollar entrepreneur, speaker and author, friend and foremost, someone that walks alongside me, Tracy O'Malley is today's guest. She is a world-renowned recovery coach and has helped thousands of women recover from addiction and those overwhelmed looking for an escape for their, from their daily stress and anxiety. What I love about today's episode is that this badass not only has triumphed in areas of her life through a ton of pain and dysfunction and still you know, created an air of success from a paper standpoint, then went through losing it all pretty much and realizing that it was time to face her inner self-talk, her inner doubts, her conformity, what she was conformed to believe as a young child through dysfunction has now created a multi-million dollar coaching practice where she helps people break through, stand up into who they are today and really build their life and their business from a place of authenticity and soul connection that in a me- using a method that really isn't done from a, a coaching experience. And so I'm really excited to share her with you today because it truly is all about soul surgery in order to then build that strong foundation for what it is that you want out of life and business. And you guys know that is the premise of my show. It's who I try to bring to you every single episode and make sure that you feel inspired to go after what it is that you want. So I hope you enjoy today's episode as we dive deep into Tracy's journey, but also find ways to help you break through and really realize that you have a choice in what you show up in every day. And it's just a matter of leaning into the willingness to change or to make it different or reframe that story, knowing that there are experts out there like Tracy to help you make that happen. I hope you enjoy today's episode as much as I did. Welcome everybody to your Badass Journey podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Tracy O'Malley. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Kareen. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation. 
Oh, you know what, girl? Like it is so <laughs> amazing to connect with you in this way because the impact life uh, journey that you're on and also where you have evolved, how you live as an entrepreneur, as a mom, as a kick-ass woman in the world. <laughs> like it's just such... It's, you're, I know we're going to drop like crazy inspiration as well as motivation, but mainly connection for people to help understand that they're not alone on their journey, that there there is the appropriate help out there. And there's so many different ways to navigate when you face dysfunction or dissatisfaction or triggers that put you on a path of discomfort, how you can actually reframe it, you know, as you call it, to have some soul surgery <laughs> and rebuild it up. So I'm so excited to share you and this conversation with our listeners today. Mm-hmm. And as, as I love to get started, because I think um, people need a little bit of context who haven't met you yet and want to know more about you. Can you... Uh, I think I want to start with where you are today mm-hmm. and how you actually present the, the, the life you have today as Tracy. Oh, I love that. You know, it's when you were talking about that earlier and like how I'm showing up in the world, you know, how I'm showing up in the world today is freaking beautiful. I will, I will say that. And I'm, I love that because even a short decade ago, like I, I was the least likely to be doing what I'm doing. And, and that's just a testament that anytime you can decide to change the story. And I am pushing 50, girl. Like I am just a couple years away from 50 years old, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, but I've got, I'm a mom, a single mom of two amazing millennials. They're 21 and 22. And, you know, they're, they're amazing. And I, I believe that a lot of where I'm at today has to do with the responsibility and blessing that it is being their mom. Um, as far as business goes, I have two million dollar businesses. Um, one is in network marketing, which I absolutely love, and the other is what we're going to talk about today too. It's um, this coaching practice that I have, and you know, looking back at the, at my life, this was a divine appointment back long time ago. Um, I just didn't know how a girl like me would end up doing something like this. And, you know, I, I do have a lot of success in business. And like you, this is kind of where we geek out. We have such strategic minds. And I love that. I've always been a strategist. Um, and a lot of people have wanted to hire me just for strategy. And I can do that. However, I believe the reason today that I am one of the best strategists as far as life guiding goes is because of this um, emotional work that I do that not a lot of people want to do because it's freaking hard. And it's one of those things where I can't tell you what the ROI is going to be, right? And I can't tell you that you're going to check some boxes and you'll have X, Y, Z. But I can tell you your life will completely change and that of your legacy will change from here moving forward. And you know, I get that some people don't get that and I'm okay with that. Um, because I am committed to bringing this emotional work to business because it's so, so important. And, um, I definitely know that the calling was calling and I finally answered that call, you know, definitely kicking and screaming. Um, I went into it, but I'm exactly where I was designed to be at, at almost 50. Right? I love it. 
I love it though, because it, it is, it, you know, when you're at that half century mark, right? Which is crazy. And, and I do want to touch upon how, because we will go into the badass journey that got you to this blessed point, because it's, it is so amazing when you can reflect on the decision to do the work to invest in yourself so that you can actually live an aligned life like you have today. And this is just, honestly, I feel like at the beginning of your completely aligned journey because we're always triggered, right? You and I were talking about that too earlier where it's Mm -hmm. like the triggers will always show up. It's the the conditioning of how we react to those triggers that help us figure out, is this going to be a divine aligned moment? Of learning, <laughs> or is this going to be a dysfunctional, you know, abusive, addictive response because we don't know it any better yet, or we don't know that that there is another way, and that there's a choice in the learning of how we want to respond. So, I love and 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 especially watching you interact with your kids today, knowing what you've gone through to get to this point of having this relational deepness, like this relational connection with everyone you meet. Let's jump back a little bit and give our listeners um, some color on what you actually went through, through different stages of your life that got you to where you are today and why you are so passionate about helping others get into who they truly are and heal and see their truth of who they need to be in this world now uh, in order to shine in the way that you help them do that. So as we jump back, can you tell me in your journey, what was probably the most kind of, I want to call it, this is what's coming to mind. So I'm cracking myself up. I want to call it like devastating aha moment (laughs) you had, (laughs) because I know that you, um, had an interesting childhood. So maybe let's touch on that a little bit and how it manifested into the success you had in your early part of your career, that success defined by others, obviously. Um, So let's let's get some color into your journey here. Well, I love what you said about like the triggers and how we've been conditioned to response, to respond to them because, you know, how we respond to them today um, although it may not look identical, I like to say it's the same package, but different wrapping paper, you know, and the triggers and how we cope with them or deal with them are conditioned from our childhood. And, you know, I knew of two ways, um, that I was conditioned to deal with them. Either we tuck and roll and run like hell, or we lean into substances, unhealthy feelings. We become obsessive about certain things like work and processes, or, you know, we end up you know, in relationships that we can be the hero in and the rescuer, or we just freaking wear masks or become narcissistic or narcissistic or codependent. And that's a lot. I mean, when I look back at where it first started, like obviously at four years old was the first hit to my soul. It was when I heard the story of the day I was born and my dad wanted a boy. And for those of you that are around my age, 40 and up, you remember uh, the show All in the Family. And my dad was like the real life Archie Bunker. So no filter, like zero. And he had the biggest, softest heart, but it, it never expressed itself that way. And as a four-year-old, you know, you interpret things very literally. 
And sometimes, you know, we speak to children um, and they don't always understand our meaning behind it. They're just hearing the words. And when I heard the story about the day I was born and when the doctor came out and told my dad that he, you know, that I was a girl and my dad said, you know what, you can keep her. I don't want her. Totally a joke. However, my little four-year-old brain from that moment forward interpreted that, that one sentence as, wow, like I'm not going to be a boy. I'm going to need to be as close to perfect as possible to have approval, love, acceptance, and value. And at four years old, I remember that. And my dad, you know, was very good in business. He, um, very Irish or very Irish family. And he was a very high functioning Jekyll and Hyde alcoholic. And so like from four till 10, I played the role of like walking on eggshells, be as perfect as possible. I was a tomboy into sports, you know, doing the boy things. And also, you know, our conversations were about like money and strategy, even as a little kid. Um, But the real biggest soul hit that I remember that wasn't childlike came at the age of nine or 10. And that year was like doing my own work. It was so pivotal in all of this. And that moment at 10 years old is what set this whole thing up for where I am at today. Um, the, the fighting between my parents became violent and really bad. I was sexually assaulted at 10 years old by a stranger. And it was the first time, and I also got my period at 10 and I know boys out there, whatever, but at 10 years old, that's really, really young. And just to kind of give you the context of this, I had a mother who was beautiful in her heart, but very depressed and incapable of nurturing and showing up emotionally. And so for three years, my mom didn't even know that I was becoming a woman. And it was also the first time that I stole food to cope like sugar. Um, I remember stealing candy bars in a fundraiser because I needed to let the steam out and food for me early on. I knew at five years old, I leaned into food, but at 10 years old, I knew I needed it like a drug and I was willing to steal it. And it was also at this moment when things were really awful. You know, I, I used to remember people saying, thank God it's Friday. And my entire insides would turn um, hearing that because that's usually when all hell would break loose. And there was, I, I remember this so vividly. And this is like the defining moment that I knew that this would all matter. Like all this pain, everything that everybody's ever been through will matter for something greater. And it was one Sunday morning, you know, after the dust was settling from a hellacious weekend, um, I got up before everybody else did and it was pouring rain out and I got on my bike and I would, you know, ride to all these different churches. I grew up in a small town in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago. And, you know, within five miles, there was like 10 different churches and I just kept going to each one. I don't know why. Um, I was raised Catholic, but it wasn't, we were like the Easter Christmas Catholics, you know? And I remember it was a rainy morning and I walked in to this Baptist church and it was, I walked in at 10 years old. Like today, the cops probably would have been called because I was like (laughs) soaking wet, you know, from riding my bike in the rain. And I remember like walking in and the room parted. And I just remember looking up at this person and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I was called to come here. Like I knew I was seeking something much bigger than me. You know, my little girl heart was breaking and I knew there had, like there had to be 
I had to make sense. And, and I'm a very intellectual, I need to understand shit mainly because I want to control and not get blindsided by things. I know you can relate to that too. It's like, if I can outthink it, then I can't be blindsided by stuff. And that was kind of like what I was seeking is making sense of all of this. And at the same time, the world was being introduced to a woman named Oprah Winfrey. And in Chicago, we had two years of her before the world did. And I remember watching her before getting ready for school in the mornings. And there was one time, you know, she would always kind of like joke about herself and, you know, played the, the skits and the, all the stuff that, that she did. But then there was one pivotal moment for me, and this was game-changing. Um, she started talking about her history and her childhood and the immense abuse and trauma she experienced. And I looked into the eyes of that woman and knew that, okay, this is all going to matter. And I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how, but I'm going to, I'm going to do what she's doing. I'm going to use my pain to help other people. And in the process, I'm going to heal and change my path. Um, and that was when I was nine and 10 years old. It's you amazing. Know? Yeah. And so I held on to that, the faith and that all of this would matter for something. Now, granted, in theory, that was great. The conditioning and the pathology of my family did not accommodate that belief. My family, the conditioning of my family was lean into drugs, lean into food, lean into fear, worry, self-loathing, misery, um, become a workaholic, you know, power, control, heroing, help rescuing, and masks and all the things. So even though I had this, like, that's the path I want to go on the tools I had to get there were, it was going to make it really, really hard. And it was going to take another couple decades before I was able to figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We have so much um, in common in the resemblance of, you know, like when Oprah did actually surface mm-hmm. to show that we could have a different way. I mean, so many of us now, now it's a different time too, where like, you know, you have access to literally attaching yourself to any personality or yeah. any message or any social media feed that speaks to what you're potentially seeking or speaks to what you're trying to avoid like or is that distraction is a new type of addiction actually out there to not face your reality and the the mind at 10 years old is starting to form into the who am I questions, right? Because obviously you went through some some serious trauma at a, at a young age, but didn't even know probably in your soul, you knew that it was unacceptable. But obviously it was accepted in the society, mm-hmm. in the community, in the household you were in. And so how do you know any different? And I like right. you, in my emotional trauma, sought out food, uh, definitely led to a lot of of health issues that I had to unravel and reframe and and still to this day have to focus on because I was told, and this is probably the most traumatic words, not being, I would say, intentional on my mother's part, but more of her own lessons learned in the space she was in raising us. But she literally told us when we would have emotional reactions that were not convenient to the time in the moment for her, for her, she would tell us to swallow it in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And imagine that, Tracy, because I know you know the soul surgery that would be required <laughs> in order to, to basically, uh, what's the right word? Remove 
the damages and the buildup of the the tissue lining and like all the things from swallowing all the emotional baggage going to food as the first vice mm-hmm. was really easy because that's what we were told to do. It was like, oh, okay, so you want to have an emotional outbreak? You can't, so go and swallow it. And so... Well, and you know, it's so interesting that you said that because the, the interpretation in my world <clears throat> was suck it up, you're better seen than heard. Yeah. And power through. And it's the same kind of premise. And, you know, yes, we get, we learn to swallow our words. And the belief that we come from that as a child is that we don't matter what we, whatever, we're just here to take up space. And, you know, we can understand that. But then, you know, we, we are human and we are built for connection. And at the end of the day, this is what it's all about is we are all desiring a connection to something. Um, people, places, things, something bigger than us. And when we are silenced like that and, you know, bless your mom's heart and my parents, you know, they did the best they could with what yeah. they were taught, told and modeled. And I know that you and I both said as children, probably I'm never going to be like that. <laughs> yeah, it, like that. And yet yeah. we did, we repeat it. Different packet or same package, but different wrapping manifestations. Yeah, it manifests into because then, so then, you know, as we fast forward a little bit into the beginning of um, your career life and also um, independence, I'll call it, like when you were able to get out of the household, Mm -hmm. start your path. um, What was what were you manifesting at that time based on? the knowledge you had and also this inner child at 10 saying, I know I can gift other people through my pain. How, how was that leading you into your now independence? I'll call it that stage. Well, I knew that like I would help people with my pain, but because I wasn't equipped with the tools at the time, um, I would silence that because like the, the old voices the who the hell do I think I am? I'm better seen than heard. You know, all those tapes were playing on repeat in my head. So even though my soul was calling to do something, um, all the all the things I knew and that were kind of taking over and you know reprogramming my cellular um, expression, I I wasn't ready for that. But I remember. You know, my parents divorced when I was 19 and that was devastating. They should have been divorced 10 years earlier, but it was like all of a sudden it was exposed. Like, was this all a freaking lie? And I remember being angry. And um, the same day that my parents got divorced, my dad introduced me to his married girlfriend and on a boat and I was trapped. I couldn't go anywhere. And I was so pissed off. Um, and I knew I needed to get out of there. I just, I never imagined leaving Chicago. I never imagined because one of my um, coping mechanisms to deal with all this was to be a rescuer. You know, when you're growing up with an alcoholic that's really unpredictable, you pretty much learn how to navigate any situation at the drop of a dime. And I had this belief that if I wasn't there, something bad would happen, but it got to be too much. And, you know, I think I was, my energy was like, I need to get the hell out of here. And, um, in my second year of college, I met a guy that like, looking back, it doesn't make much sense why it happened. Cause he's not my typical <clears throat> kind of thing. Um, but his mother was everything I was craving. He had a very nurturing, loving, present mom. And looking back, I see now why I, I jumped on that and, you know, spent the next 
decade and a half in that. Um, but it was my ticket out. Um, he was from Arizona and hated the cold. And I was like, okay, peace out boy Scouts. I am moving to the the Valley of the sun. And so at 21, I got married and moved 3000 miles away from my dysfunction. And I thought that I could outrun, outlast, outwit, outsmart, outthink my past and just put up shop in a different location and that everything would be okay. And for a little while it was, um, you know, going to college and when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a trauma surgeon, ironically, you know, like in the, in the hospitals and, you know, I was one of the, being raised in an alcoholic home, you are like a triage unit at all time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always wanted to kind of be in that. And I love medicine and all sorts of things. Things. And I think a lot of it had to do with my sister was in an ambulance like six times before she was 14. And I was just fascinated by like <clears throat> the triage aspect of it. When I learned how much school there was and that I'd have to be inside all the time, I changed that and decided I, that I wanted to be a firefighter paramedic. And so that's actually what I went to college for was uh, fire science. And, um, you know, when we moved to Arizona and I was married, I was 21 and I applied and tried out for the fire department here and actually um, made it and went to go take the physical and found out I was pregnant with our first child. Wow. And and so I was like, okay. And so after she was born, I went back to take the test again and found out I was pregnant with my Irish twin, Joey, um, (laughs) just a couple, just like two, three months after she was born. So I, I took that as a sign from God. Um, and the divine that maybe this is not the calling. Maybe this kind of trauma work isn't my calling. And so I went into the restaurant business for a little while while we were married. My husband was still in college. And when 9-11 happened, that changed the blueprint of the workforce and, and the workspace. And he was in the IT world and they were downsizing and the whole world was like on edge. And so it was in that moment that we decided to bet on ourselves and we took some equity out of our house and bought our first business, which was in the automotive industry. And for 10 years, um, I owned a company that did car transport, car transport locally. So my husband at the time got more involved with the client relations and I was more behind the scenes operationally. And I, I wanted no, like my soul knew that that industry was pretty toxic and I wanted no part of it. You know, we all hear the, the stereotypes of the used car salesman. That's pretty much all we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, it got to the point though, in the marriage where there was a breakdown in the marriage, you know, he was environment is stronger than willpower and the environment he was playing in wasn't good. And my coping mechanisms were not good, not mm-hmm. good. You know, I was a hot mess and the disconnect was happening. And, and so I decided to throw myself into the client relation part because I, things just weren't making sense. And so thank God I did because the divorce came, the recession came right like 2008 was when I got divorced and the recession hit and wiped a lot of stuff out. But because I had put myself on the client relation part of it, thank goodness, when I decided to close the doors on our business, because I was tired of building this with a husband at the time who wasn't acting out of integrity in our business. And you know, he's a good person, just, you know, his coping mechanisms suck too. Yeah. And, um, but thank God I had good client relations because I was offered three jobs the next day at an executive level position in a recession, which is unheard of. 
And so I had my pick of three different jobs, but it was a job that I absolutely did not want. Um, I felt like I was checking my soul at the door. I was very good at it. And, you know, we talked about like that type A masculine energy. The car industry is a perfect place for a woman with power. Yeah. And and some some good looks too, because it's it's a rare commodity. Like the ratio is like a thousand to one. And so here comes pissed off, bitter, resentment, like oozing out of my blood, power hungry. Yeah, put me in the executive field in the automotive industry and I'm gonna freaking crush it. And so at the beginning of 2010, that's how I walked into the executive corporate world of the car business. And I did crush it, but I also crushed my soul in the process. What were your motivators at that time? Because you know we all have a different level of defining what success means to us, and I, I would love because it's such a different. You're in such a different place now. <laughs> if you were to right. put yourself in that growth spurt, right? You're single mom. You're um, recovering from a failed business. You're still dealing with your coping me- mechanisms. Haven't quite faced it yet. Tell us, like, it was I know I think I believe addiction was in play at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, did that mm-hmm. is that when it showed up in that in that time frame? Yeah, the the eating disorders had a stronghold on me for a good ten years before that. But when I went into the corporate end of the car industry, um, it was almost required that I entertain clients. And yes. It was like a if you can't beat them, join them. I, I got a case of the fuck it. It's quite honestly like fuck it. I I don't. I had just turned forty. I didn't feel like I had any choices. Um, I felt like I was cemented in all these setbacks, and like I was I was stuck. And stuck to me means dead. And that's how I felt inside. And I was just like you know I was a single mom with you know, junior high level kids, which that age sucks for all involved. Everybody, yeah. Including them. <laughs> yeah. I was commuting 44 miles each way. So I wasn't that present, present mom that I had yeah. been at an age where they really, really needed me. I was angry, you know, angry enough about, you know, a failed marriage, which I mean, if we could go into that too, and how I coped with that for six months, pretending like everything was fine to the outside world and would, it was just fucked up. Yeah. But, but, it yeah the alcohol at that point became like accelerated like within 2 years it accelerated so rapidly you know what what became like a weekend drinker with blackouts became a four night a week drinker with blackouts and mm. i became exactly what i grew up with unpredictable jekyll and hyde and i saw the same look in my kids face kids faces that i had growing up it worked in business cuz i was amazing at what I did, but I hated it every single day. And, you know, I showed up with that power hungry. And even though I am a get shit done kind of girl, that power hungry was coming from a place of sadness, fear. You know, when I got divorced and I shut down the business, all child support stopped. And for the last 10 years, I haven't received child support. So I felt this desperation, panicky, white knuckling my way through life. Like I just had to you know, do what I had to do in order to put a roof over the the heads of my children, put food on the table, and not disrupt their life any more than it already had been. Sure. You know, they lost they lost our childhood home. They lost a mom and dad in the same house, and then they lost a present mom because she was working sixty five seventy hours a week. And so yeah. that I was angry and resentful with every worst coping mechanism you can think of to deal with it. And um, two years later, it came to a head very quickly. 
And and would you call that phase like just straight up survival mode? A hundred percent. It was fight or flight every day. Every I was, day. I woke yeah. up every day, angry, pissed off. Like, is this what life is all about? You know? And, um, and then, and seeing the framework too, of, of what you were exposed to growing up, what you were running from, ran from, built up what you thought would be an out, an escape, uh, a difference in the upbringing you had. And then having to leave the marriage, leave the business because of the failed foundation. It sounds like it was initially built on and showing up as your inauthentic self, but defining what was framed for you. It's something we commonly see when we work with executives today. You and I both have that interaction of high-octane people and having to get to that root of where did this behavior begin and why... If it's creating so much dysfunction for you, is this still what you lean into? So I know that now we're about to hit that breaking point where you know it all had to stop and you mm-hmm. had to make a choice. So when you face that, tell us a little bit about that moment of then moving into your your kind of self discovery landscape, right? Because that, if I'm hearing the story correctly. It's like at this pivotal part, seeing all this dysfunction, trying to survive, and then feeling you hit this breaking point. That was this now the beginning of your own personal soul surgery work? Yeah, I had 12 years earlier when my daughter turned four. Because if you remember back in the story, my first moment of trauma that I remembered was age four. Yes. And when my daughter turned four, I realized I couldn't out run this anymore because I was filled with so much rage. I didn't know what to do with. Mm. And, and I didn't want to project that onto my family. And so 12 years earlier, I had begun chipping away at it. However, that only works um, to the point of which you are willing to be honest. And because I wasn't raised with that kind of honesty, I didn't like anytime I'd have a breakthrough, I would sabotage it, pull back, change therapists. I mean, I went through nine therapists in 12 years because I always felt smarter than them. I actually thrived on manipulating them and end up rescuing and coaching them. Quite honestly, every single fucking therapist, I, they all said, you should be a counselor. I'm like, yeah, no yeah, shit. Yeah, I had the same thing. Sorry. <laughs> right? like, I totally had the same thing, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. So for 12 years, I had dabbled into the inner child work. Um, but again, you know, I was in crisis mode at 40 years old. And, you know, I always felt like I was one misstep away from the wheels flying off the axle. And in the summer of 2012, that happened. Um, It was a chain of events. Actually, six weeks before this happened, um, the company that I worked for, I, the CEO and owner of the company sent me off only me. I was the only employee out of 250 people to go off to this leadership retreat. I got dropped in the middle of nowhere and with 14 other people. And for this like 48 hour intensive, like crazy shit retreat leadership. And it was the first time that, you know, I knew nobody. I didn't even know why I was here. And when they went around the room, um, you know, everybody was introducing themselves and I was the last to go and everybody was going around saying, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. My boss sent me here because I'm going to grow it this way in my company, blah, blah, blah. And it came to me and it was the first case. I said, fuck it. I'm going to rip off the mask I've been wearing my entire life. I just turned 40. And I said, you know what? I have 
I have some guilt because my, my boss has sent me here because he's grooming me to run the place. Like I was being groomed to be the general manager of the entire place. Yeah. I, I said, but I'm actually here to figure out what my exit plan is. And it came out of my mouth. And so I showed up in that space completely authentic. And by the end of the 48 hours, your peers voted on who had the biggest breakthrough. Clearly, I got that um, unanimously. And six weeks after that, I got a call from my dad. Remember, no filter. He says, Trace, I'm dying. You got to come home. Mm. And I was like, bottom line me, what does that mean? He goes, three weeks to three months is what they've given me. And 12 days later, my dad passed away. And so it was in that come to Jesus moment, like life really is too short, came up and whacked me beside between the eyes with a two by four. Like that's such a cliche. And I was now living it. And, you know, my dad has been probably one of my greatest influences in all the good ways. And all, I mean, he was a very brilliant, smart, integrity filled businessman, always did right by his clients. He was in finance and uh, life insurance his whole life. And it was in this moment, like, okay, I need to, I, I don't want to carry on this legacy for my kids, the way that I'm operating. I was seeing history repeat itself. I saw my kids coping mechanisms model and mimic everything that I had ever done so hard to try to hide. And it was at that moment, it's like, okay, clearly my best thinking has gotten me here. Clearly I need to wipe out my own hard drive and completely start fresh. And I didn't know how to do that without help. And it was the very first time I asked for help because, you know, growing up the way I grew up, I mean, I couldn't trust my own home and my own family. Like who, who the hell was I going to ask for support and help in wiping out my entire 40 year old hard drive. And it was at that moment, I just like prayed and I made two phone calls. And, um, three days later, you know, after putting my dad to rest, um, six weeks after he died, I had a blackout that was like awful, which led to like tucking and rolling out of a moving car on Las Vegas Boulevard, like talk about rock bottom Wow! and and being so blacked out that I literally could have murdered somebody. And it was all to mask pain. It was all numbing pain. It wasn't like it was to keep from dealing. And I knew that that wasn't what I wanted for the future of myself and for my children. So a few days after that, after the tuck and roll, I sat down my children who were 14 and 15 at the time. And I said, okay, I know this has been rough. And I know a lot of that is because of me and I want something different for you. And the only way to give that to you is to be something different for you. So I'm going to go away for 30 days. And I promise you when I get back, things will be different. And, you know, they, they had grown to not completely trust me because I was full of words and not a lot of backup in the past. And my son, who was 14 at the time, looked at me and said, I will give you up for 30 days to have you the rest of our life and um, go get it done. And so when I walked into rehab and I put all the cards on the table, it was the first time I didn't manipulate or mask Mask. or bullshit anything. I said, this is what I'm dealing with. I threw the eating disorder out on the table. I threw the alcoholism. I threw, you know, the power, the money, the sex, all the things. I I put it all. And my therapist told me the statistics that about only 2% of you were going to make it. Um, Those are the, the statistics and the grim odds in you know, addiction recovery. And that's all addictions, not just the the horrible ones that we see, but the things like the rescuing, the, the mask wearing, the codependency, all that. And I looked around the room, you'll appreciate this. I looked around the room and was doing very quick math. And the very first words <laughs> I spoke in rehab were, well, I apologize to all of you because none of you are going to make it because I'm the 2%. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, I believe it. Yeah. And so that's where the, the rebuild of my own hard drive began and really for the first time, unpacking all of it and being willing, honest, open, and willing. That's how I do it. Honest, open, willing to do whatever it took, no matter how foreign, uncomfortable, how like almost like turning my feet the other direction on my body and, and do the opposite of what I've always done. And so that's really where it began. Um, before I walked in though, before I walked into rehab, I walked into the CEO's office and I resigned and taking not only like walking away from a career I'd worked hard at, that was the only financial resource I had at the time. And I walked into his office and said, I'm going to leave very quietly and I'm never coming back because if I come back, I'm going to die. I appreciate you. Thank you for pouring into me because he did. He was amazing. Um, And so not only did I walk into rehab, I took my income down to zero overnight with no no, uh, plan B. And I'm a planner. Yeah. And and so I came out of rehab, which was great. Rehab was great. You know, when we go into recovery, that's where it's safe. It's when we go back into our natural habitat that it's like, holy shit. Now, how do I apply this in real time and real life with, with characters that are used to me one way with, you know, certain dance moves and, and operating systems. And I'm here to disrupt all of that. People aren't going to like it. And they didn't. And within six months, I had pretty much wiped out my entire social network. Um, Every friend, you know, that I had had, um, the man I was dating at the time that eventually crumbled pretty rapidly and violently as well. Mm. And all I was left with was um, a divine appointment, um, the two kids I had and a whole hell of a lot of faith that, you know, I don't have to lean into my old coping mechanisms. And I looked at my children when they came home and realized that the boyfriend had walked out on us. Um, they were kind of bracing for impact, right? Cause they, they were conditioned that way too. They were like, Oh right. shit, how, how is she going to respond? And it was the first time that I knew that I'd earned their trust back and I'd earned my own trust back. And I looked at the them, I said, we are going to be okay. I promise you. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm scared and I'm afraid and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to pull us through this. And a few weeks later, I started my network marketing company, not intending at all to build a business. I only started it for the products and right. it, it kind of grew very quickly from there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic when first through your healing process, you had willingness. Like mm-hmm. I find that that is the strongest energy to have towards any sort of commitment to transformation or wanting to change something is to be willing and open to what's next. And so I want to make sure we touch on that mm-hmm. almost like requirement. It's like a baseline requirement in order to manifest transformation, but also get to the truth of what's really going on. If you're not willing to face it, willing to speak about it, willing to act in it, then you're just perpetuating the destruction that potentially was created before or the dissatisfaction or dysfunction, whatever you want to, whatever this mm-hmm. word you want to give it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I love that you bring that up because I think it's a, it's a real poignant p- part to creating especially a soul-based transformation. Like we are conditioned as people to do. Like that's, you, you've you mastered the doing, the how, 
And you can easily, of course, your network marketing company and, and as you focused on it, had tremendous success because you mastered how in a dysfunctional environment. Imagine mastering how in a very enlightened environment when you're aligned with who you are and you're only going to align with those who can surround you in a way that speaks to your now new transform- transformed nature. And again, though, I feel like that baseline is that willingness for the transformation, but it's also then the willingness to sustain it. You know, and so I'm curious uh-huh. <laughs> when you're working with your clients, because you work with your one on one clients and you've worked with a lot of companies as well um, through transformation, really, like you're when you talk about soul surgery, which is, you know, what your business now is all about as well. How do you? help those who you see because you know when you're on the other side and you and I both have worked with so many people and we're on the other side as of our and we're in our own journey of course trying to best ourselves what is it that you potentially would check in with um, your clients or even help our listeners open up more to that energy of willingness like how do you how can we help them get ready, right? Like get ready for the the next stage and really commit to that that self-care investment needed, but really open up in that willingness space. Well, I I also realize that I'm not here to rob anybody of their own process and their own journey as well. And you know, usually will people will come to me before it's really bad and, and so the commitment willingness isn't always 100%. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> And so what I will usually do is get to the real painful parts because they'll usually come for more surface level stuff at first, which I'm very aware that it comes from a much deeper level. So I'll get to the pain point really quickly because that will breed unconditional commitment and willingness to the process. If I get them in enough pain, and it's not like I'm going to have them linger a long time in it, but pain usually makes us move. Pain begins the healing process. I mean, think about it. When you break a bone, it's very freaking painful, but the healing of it is where the transformation happens, right? And so, you know, I, I, I mean, I've always wanted to change my life too. It took me 12 years of floundering in my own healing work. So I, I have compassion for people when the willingness and the unconditional commitment isn't quite there yet. And because I lean in with compassion, because they're expecting me to be an asshole, like, like, I mean, and I have some fuck you in me. Trust me, I can pull that card if I need to, but yeah. I, I want them to know. And because I'm so relational and relatable to them, and I, I've pretty much been through everything you can, can go through from death and divorce and losing it all and having it all and all the things. So I, I can pretty much have compassion for any situation, but I, I speak to them in real talk. I'm like, listen, you can't have unconditional this this dream of unconditional love of this process because you're going to hate parts of it. What you do have to have is an unconditional commitment to keep going through it. I don't even like to say push through it because I think I was conditioned with pushing through that I would mm-hmm. stuff things. So I don't even like to use the word push through it, but just be willing to stand in it and take the hits, let your heart break know that you will recover, know that I'm going to take you through some painful places. We won't linger there, but we can't heal it unless we first deal with it. But you must have unconditional commitment to this process to yourself. If, if what you're telling me is what you really, really want, then it's going to take that. And now, and, and I'll usually say like, is this really, really, really what you want? Are you right. 
willing to do whatever it takes to have that. And if not, just tell me that's totally okay. I'm not judging it, no heat around it, but then you're not ready for this process yet. And you can go find a fluffy coach and that's fine because they're great too. Because sometimes, I mean, you can't jump from kindergarten to a master's program overnight. Right. Sometimes you got to go through kindergarten, elementary school, the awkward junior high age before you get to the master's degree program, which is exactly what I am. Yeah. And I'm like, if, if you're committed to that process, then I am all freaking in with you and we will take your life to every level that you want on a soul level, which in business... So when I started my network marketing business, I mean, I went from zero to six figures in three months and with no social network and that single mom that went to rehab like six months sober, I was least likely to build a network marketing empire. And within three months, I went to six figures. In six months, I went to 250 and you know a million in, in two years. And that's because I had done this soul work, or at least I'd really begun it like at the unconditional committed level, that how it showed up in my business was with so much ease. My network marketing business was not hard ever. It was easy. It was authentic. It was exactly who I was wanting to be. And I think when we see people in business floundering or we you know, have success and then the, the roller coaster ride, I think it's at this level of healing that I had done that made that possible. Because had this come into my life a year before, this is a total and complete shit show. Right. I promise you. It was just a perfect storm of my willingness, my honesty, my openness to the process, my open mind. And willing to do something different because I was unconditionally committed to the process. And that's, I believe that's why I see and you see a lot of people floundering in business yeah. and they're not sure why, <clears throat> right? Yeah. And even in network marketing, you see the floundering too, if, if, if there's a misalignment there as well. Like it's not, it's not built for everyone either. No. Um, and so it, yeah, it is hard. It's, hard. It, it, it's a, it takes a diligence to it. But when you're in alignment and you align with the right, leadership team and framework and feel that you're being fed too. So this is, I mean, I see this all the time working into different environments where the, the top of the company is always being fed first. And that then creates a disjointed uh, energy in the team base that actually is doing the work and doing the hard things and making it showing up and making it happen. Um, it is completely a reflection of that leadership stance of what alignment means to them in order for everyone else under their management to align with that um, spirit and energy and, and definition of success that matters for whatever business they're well, a part of. I am going to say something to what you just said about like aligning with the correct leadership team. I want you to know when I started network marketing, I was with the most unaligned leadership team, at least in the organization, the, the heads of the company, amazing and in alignment with who I am. They were about family values, right. personal wellness, excellence, all those things. But directly the leadership team I was connected to could not be more out of alignment with who I was. Yeah, I gotcha. and, at, and at the three month mark, and this is so important for your audience to hear because a lot of your people are in environments that they are being led by leaders that maybe aren't in alignment and they feel trapped like the caged animal. Yep. And I knew at the three month mark that I was not going to align myself with this. I didn't care who I was connected to, but I needed to create the leadership that I wish I had. 
because this is why I do what I do today, because I would have killed for a person like me when I was 28, when I began this healing work. And same thing in my network marketing business. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to be the leader that I wish I had. And I'm going to just go and operate as if I am already there. And I think that that's why I had the success also that I have. And if you're listening to this and you feel trapped, then you go create it. You be that. Because it t- somebody has to go first all the time. And if you are unconditionally committed to your own process and your own growth, then it's going to require you to step out. And I'm here to tell you, I got so much backlash. I had people try to shut down my business early on um, because I just was not willing to align myself with that stuff. And, and so if you're listening and you feel like that, you do have a choice. You do have a choice. And if you tolerate it, then you're accepting it. And whatever right. you don't change, you choose. So, um, and I mean that with so much love and compassion because I don't, I do know how freaking hard it is to do that. So, yeah. yeah it, it, and it, 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 it starts with getting that clarity though, first on who you are and what yep. means the most to you, right? Because you can't, if you, if you, f- fight from a place of pain, which we just heard in your uh-huh. journey, what destruction that could cause, right? Because yep. you were you were fighting the stories going on inside you. So anytime you were triggered, like it would create more dysfunction as opposed to uh, a, a healing and or a successful output or, or a positive result or, you know, there's so many ways we could define what oh. that means. I try to simplify and make things super practical because that's, that's what works for me. <laughs> so, like yeah. if it's not, if, it, if I can't easily define it, then I'm probably not jumping into it. I could do hard things. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I also know I don't have to in order mm-hmm. to achieve the result that makes me feel my best. Right. So it's the simple practical strategies of it all. But if when we lean into a a combative energy and and in the fight, like fight sometimes is worth it when you're so aligned in the foundation of who you are, then the fight actually feels easier because you're just speaking your truth. You're just going after what actually would fill you up and you're much faster in your response to walking away from the the things that hold you back, the things that put you down, the things that make you feel like dysfunctional on the inside or just don't sit well. I had to learn that too in saying, and I'm even while we're talking right now, I, I still have this habit where I tap on my heart and I have to say, what's true to me? What's mm-hmm. true to me right now? What's really going on? Because of the years of complying and of the years of swallowing and and mm-hmm. accepting a life that just wasn't defined for me, like it was, it was something that I would conform to believe was enough or was this is all it was, this is all it is. You know, I had to get to the truth of me and find the ways to realign in the moment. And now that's my practice. And that's why I feel like it's so much easier for me to toggle into in and out of environments, meet crazy ass like personalities and still meet it with laughter Mm -hmm. because I'm not the one that has to carry that. That's that person's story, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And we can't rob them of their own process. We can't. That's their journey. Yeah. Like like sometimes like I, I relate it to parenting a lot of times, like Sometimes our kids have to fall down a couple times before they learn how to walk. And I think so often we want to save people from their pain, but it's in the painful process 
that they learn their greatest lessons and, and some of the biggest blessings have come in those pains. When people say that my pain is my purpose, that's when you get into trouble because you're just yeah. going to keep manifesting pain to have purpose. I see that a lot, especially in the coaching industry. Oh, yeah. yeah. And even anybody that leads people, a lot of people go into health coaching or whatever kind of coaching to kind of spiritually bypass their own work because they think if they're helping other people through their stuff, they're going to kind of get that benefit of their own healing through it. And they will to some degree, but eventually that imposter syndrome will kick in because they know that they can't take these people to the level that they're saying they want to go. And that's why I know I'm as fucking good as I am because I walk my talk. I do my own work every single day and I can take anybody go. I can take anybody anywhere they want to go because I am in the work, doing the work, committed unconditionally to my own process so that I can show up my very best for, for you. And I know that you're committed to that. And you know, for anybody that's listening, that's in any kind of leadership, it is so, whether it's leadership in business or leadership in your home, I mean, I am the, the rock of my home and have been for 13 years. And they, I'm their everything, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and financially. And in my businesses, I am that. And if I am not operating from the most optimal, authentic, heart-centered level, how can we ever expect the people around us to do it? 100%. And, and there's always le- levels of mm-hmm. that learning, right? Like each and each experience we go through and each each relationship we have and each achievement we you know achieve it it all creates lessons learned on how we choose to digest it all what we want to take with us and also where we want to go next right because it's it's life this is why this is a journey based podcast it's like mm-hmm. life is about the journey and it ends quickly and you can't change the ending when it happens right, right. so like making sure that you're standing in the most authentic way that you choose to lead it is is such an important step to finding that fulfillment which my listeners know I talk about all the time in what life means to you and and I love that you bring up the CEO of your household role that you play mm-hmm. and how it also creates relational connection with your kids and the healing that they've had to go through and the, the ability for you to stand in that relationship and see it as the an important investment also of your time to heal together transforms into what we do in corporations and with top leaders of uh, companies, it's it's getting to the root of saying, "Hey, I fucked up. Like I fucked up, and I and I see it. I want to be different, but let me see how you're seeing it, and let's talk about it, and let's have the difficult conversation and face it, so that we can be better together moving forward. Because that's the next step after self work is then the relational work, and." I know your mastery in that as well. What I want to do in an effort of our time for today's podcast is make sure people understand truly your soul surgery work today. This business that you're building, this this coaching practice that you have, the impact that you're putting into the world. I want to make sure we share that with our listeners who might be looking for a one-on-one coach to go deep immersively with you because I know the impact that it has on the other side, but also so that they are clear on why they should connect with you, but also your mission 
you know, what you're trying to accomplish in that new business you launched. So thank you for that. Um, before I go on to that, I do want to say that I know that listening to this might even trigger you. Like a lot of what we have said might even trigger you and you might end up beating yourself up or going down the shame lane. And I'm here to serve, I'm here to tell you, first of all, that you can't hate your way to healing. And so beating yourself up and bearing it in shame, I promise you doesn't help. And so celebrate it. If, if this is bringing up stuff for you and you know you need to take action, don't live with the regret. I mean, you've heard the shit show that I was and there's no shame around any of it. And there's so much more to the story, but um, I know that shame and, and the, the beating myself up only prolonged the suffering for me and anybody that I loved. So that being said, if this is connecting with you, um, I promise you that I take you through three months of, I give you every tool in my toolbox. I can't pick them up for you, but I am here in real time. And that's the thing with a lot of coaching that I see, even in this emotional space is, you know, in, in therapy, this is why I decided to be a coach instead of a therapist, quite honestly, Kareen, is because the therapy process is slower mm -hmm. and it's great. And it's super effective in some areas. I, I, I'm not negating it. I think it's important for a lot of people, but in real time, a lot, a lot of shit happens from that 50 minute session to the next week. If you're lucky enough to go once a week right. and you get these tools in therapy or even with coaches, and then you get thrown into your life. Like I said, when I came home from rehab and it's like, well, how do I, how do I navigate this in real time in real life? It's like, if you go to home Depot, and you look at my favorite part of Home Depot is the big tool wall, right? Mm -hmm. I love it. <laughs> now, most of us know how to work a screw, screwdriver. Perfect. We don't need supervision. We're good. We can operate the screwdriver. But a lot of us need a chainsaw kind of tool to get the job done, just like your life. And so I'm not going to send you off with a chainsaw with no instruction, no guidance, no none of that. Like You're going to hurt yourself or other people or, or people, places, and things, right? Yeah. And so... I, I am that person in your healing journey through 90 days in real time. Like, okay, I just tried this conversation at the office. It didn't go so well because I'm disrupting the pattern of how I've always showed up. How do I navigate this without two things will happen? If you don't have this guidance, you'll either just shut it down and go back to what you know, which is leaving you unfulfilled, sad, angry, whatever, or you're going to go in rogue and really fuck some shit up which will then lead to the shame, the guilt, the going back to the old ways, the sabotage. And so why I'm so passionate about why, why and how I coach the way I do is like, let's navigate real-time hard conversations. I mean, most of the people that end up working with me either change careers, leave friendships or, or relationships that aren't serving them. And because I'm with them to guide them through it, it doesn't have to be this huge explosion and huge like clusterfuck of a, of a, of a thing in order to make changes in your life, you can go through it with class and grace and self-honoring, which is at the end of the day, I think what all of us want. We want that connection, not only to ourselves, but we want to be connected to people in the most genuine, authentic, heart-centered way. And the only way to do that is like you said, to stand in your truth. And so I will stand strong as a soldier by your side in those three months and, and really allow you to do that. So you can navigate because life is not going to stop. The triggers will not stop. New layers of healing will come. But I want you to know that with the tools and, and knowing how to use them, you will walk away equipped to handle anything 
that comes your way. Because quite honestly, Karina, in the last especially year, I have faced more heartache, heart sickness, um, heartbreaking stuff in the last year than I have my entire life. And you heard a, a, a lot of heartbreaking things. Right. And because, because of my unconditional commitment to using my own tools, a lot of, even though it still hurts, a lot of blessings have come as a result. And so I want to bring that to the world. And I think it's needed in this world and in the workspace and in our homes. I think it's what the world is really missing right now. And I think it's really where people want to go. We're tired of being disconnected or having this discount authenticity that we see, you know, because at our fingertips, we can slip into comparison. And, and I want the only comparison you make is who you were yesterday to who you are today. I think it's beautiful because the method to which you work with who you're attracting in and especially like the high octane want to achieve, want to have a difference in their life and be able to walk alongside them through it and give them the tool necessary in that moment. Like this is what what I want to make sure is conveyed to those listening. It is still customized to your specific needs in the moment because Tracy is like a wizard when it comes to helping people break through, but also sustain what they've learned and make sure that it is a an, an innate... It be, almost becomes this... Your innate self comes to the surface and then is empowered to really show up in who you're meant to be in this world without question. Mm-hmm. And when you do question it, you get to Marco Polo her and like get your answer, you know, which is really great. I mean, I provide like for my elite clients, like they have all access to me because it's the same thing. I always say I'm here to walk alongside you. And it's it's an amazing ability, you know, to figure out and find the right coach to work with in order to help you walk in the path you truly want, but you to the connection I know you all are having from listening to Tracy is that she's been through it too. So she knows. So like when, and she's not going to do it from a place of her story. She's doing it from a place of, this is the tool that I believe is best for you, knowing who you are, what you're trying to achieve next, how best to serve you so that you can stand in your authentic self. And it is critical if you don't have someone like this in your life that helps guide you to your true authentic self to have the fulfilling life you truly desire. It's critical to find someone like Tracy that will help you get to that mastery much faster, uh, but also really drive yourself into that willingness stance that you have a choice like we said earlier, you have a choice to truly design this life the way you want it to be. That's the beauty of living in this first world country. We're both yeah, no kidding. Like it is so, it's such a privilege that a lot of people are wasting every single day in, in a mindset and in, in action in a conformed state that they have a, a really amazing choice to make here and now <laughs> into finding that best self and also finding that alignment in the life they really desire. And so your gifting is is just so welcome to Tracy. I love that you're in my life. I am so honored to be walking this journey with you as well. And I know this is just one of many conversations we'll have. I need to 
There's a lot more topics I want to dive into, which I'm sure we could do maybe a part two talk on. (laughs) But I want to thank you for for joining me today. And as as those listening want to learn more about your soul surgery, your one-on-one coaching practice, what's the best way for them to connect with you so that they can start their journey uh, in the healing with you? Well, um, you can send an email to info at tracyomalley.com. If you're on Instagram, you can slide into the DMs and just ask some questions and I I can send you whatever you need to be sent. You can go to my website, tracyomalley.com. I'm on Facebook, all the things. Um, I've got a team with me that helps me make sure nobody slips through the cracks because I know that this is important. And, And I love that you said that because I do have a certain methodology. I've been through all modalities of therapy, recovery work, um, transformational work, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. And that was the frustration I had. And so I've brought together the methodology that I know works, but it is so customized to every person because we all have different stories and different perspectives about things that have happened. So um, I would love to connect with you, share share what's going on in your heart. And, um, you know, this, this stuff that's got a stronghold of you, it loses its power the minute you start speaking truth about it. And I want you to know that I am a place of no judgment and just full of love to serve and help you be exactly how you want to be in this world. Beautiful, Tracy. Thank you so much. As I close out the show, I'd love to ask my guests this one question. How do you define what a badass is? Hmm. Well, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, it was a lot different. And for me, a badass is somebody that can really own both parts of their soul, the masculine and the feminine. And you and I talked earlier, we were kind of wired the same way where um, most of my life, I was 100% in my masculine and coming from a place of insecurity. And being badass is really embracing that feminine. And if you're a guy out there, your feminine energy, I'm here to tell you, is where all the power is. Mm-hmm. Now, we need, we need that masculine edge from time to time, and it's really, really important. But really, being a badass is me being more present and in that softer, powerful energy that's so much more effective. And like you said earlier, I don't have to work as hard at it. When I really embrace that part of it, it comes with ease and a flow that feels so true to who we are because we are divine, all of us. And that to me is badass, is to know that I don't have to be the power-tripping, power-hungry, grind-it-all-out, 24-7 kind of girl to be a badass. Like the badass that I am today is, is the most gentle, soft, and powerful I've ever been. I love it, Tracy. And I'm so honored to have you as a badass in my life. And thank you for sharing just this small sliver of your journey with our listeners. And I'll be sure to have you back on the show so we can really dive into that feminine, masculine energy. And um, thank you, listeners, for joining us today. As as much as you love and listen and feel impact from our conversation, please let us know what your takeaways are. Or if you have any questions, we're here to support you. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. I appreciate you, Kareen. Thanks. Thank you for joining me today. Before you move on to the next episode, please post a review or share this episode with someone you think would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. 
I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening. 